Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Bay. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computech. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Sajil Qureshi here with another episode of RevOps 500, where we talk to some of the, uh, the world's greatest uh, B2B marketers. Today, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, we have who I think is a marketing genius on the show. They're uh, you know, a great business leader. He's an incredible teacher. Uh, yeah, just empowers everybody to be a really strong marketer. Right now, you can find him as the chief marketing officer at Enterprise DB, Scott Horn. Welcome to RevOps 500. Thank you for having me. Oh boy, with that kind of introduction, I feel like I have a lot to live up to. My CEO and CRO are probably laughing somewhere. Well, yeah, you know, no, no pressure, no pressure. No, but no ask, pressure. There you go. So anyway, Scott, let, let's just get right into it. So in your opinion, what is one RevOps myth? You know, I'd say the biggest one is probably that somebody's actually figured it all out. <laughs> I, think, I think we're all, you know, we're all on, on the journey somewhere. We get a little bit better every day. You know, you look at things, you know, like I tell people, I think six months from now, we'll be so much smarter. I'll be so much smarter than I am today. And I like to think I'm smarter than I was six months ago. But as far as I know, I've never met anybody who's got it all nailed. Like They got it. So what you're, you're saying is that the, uh, the people who are writing books on RevOps or eBooks or all those sorts of things, it's still a lot of theory, right? It's not a lot of law. Well, Right. Well, I think you can learn a lot from those books. There's some, you know, for example, I have a reading list I keep on LinkedIn. People are welcome to check it out. Um, and there's some books I definitely love around marketing. And you pick up ideas and best practices. But there's not really a template you take and you go, okay, I'm going to take this off the shelf. I just do these three things. It all works. I mean, every company is different. Every company I've been at is different. You do some adaptation. You know, I mean, Marketing processes are different, the selling processes, and um, you just work with what you got and try to make it better. How do you do that then, Scott? I mean, like, yeah, you know, you've been in a couple different places now. I mean, like, how do you, how do you, how do you go from one to the other when they're all, when, you know, like the, the ingredients of, of, of making that, that business recipe is always different? First of all, I do a bit of pattern matching. I've done a lot of different things, but there's things I, I think I like to do more and I'm better at than other things. So, for example, why I've done B2C consumer, and I've done it at scale, I think there are people who enjoy it more. I know they enjoy it more, and they're better at it than I am. I tend to like doing B2B, enterprise, mid-market, marketing, selling. You know, I've been a CRO a couple of times, and that kind of helps a lot. Um, so then from there, you know, you come in, it's a direct sales model. We're marketing to large enterprises. You know it's going to be a larger buying group. Uh, you know you can do everything from like account-based marketing onto other things. You know, things like your website really matter. Um, analytics matter a lot. And uh, you, once you figure it out, at least what you think you know, you build the right team around it. <laughs> Structure, that's been a lot of my focus at EDB these first 18 months. Really building you know, a team that can do what the company needs us to do to provide effective pipeline, understand that pipeline uh, so that with our sales partners, we can go grow the company's revenues. 
So yeah, that's how you go about it. So it really sounds like what you're saying, Scott, is that you've done B2C at scale and then you went to B2B and you tend to like that better. So I mean, look, you know, you've got the Forbidden Planet poster behind you. I mean, it's a great, you know. I'm a geek. What nine, can I like nine, nine, 1960s movie. I mean, from like, you know, way back in the day. I mean, it's, it's an amazing movie. But look, so it's, it's, it's almost like a, a film producer can, can do like Forbidden Planet, but then doing like Gone with the Wind is a very different thing. Even though you're using a camera, you're writing a script, they're doing screenplay, but they're very different movies. and making those films is very, very different, right? Same idea? Same idea. In fact, I'm going to switch my background up. So I do the company promo, so I hope no more. Right. Yeah, hey, no problem, no problem. Um, Zoom info, every time it updates, it throws out your settings. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of, I mean, there are, I'll say there are rhyming, rhyming sequences. Like all marketing has some commonality. And then there are certain kinds of marketing, like, you know, B2B enterprise, you know, you're going to be working with a direct sales force. You're probably going to have channel partners. You're going to have larger selling, longer selling cycles, larger deal sizes, you know, expansion motions and customer marketing matter. <clears throat> the reason I tend to prefer that side, and again, that's with a lot of respect because B2C is hard and it's a lot of fun. Sure. It's just that the marketing strategies you employ are going to be really different in a lot of ways. You know, yeah, you've got to be great about, in all cases, what's the benefits of my solution? Why is it better? Who's my customer? But, you know, when you're working in a B2C situation where it's a high, high volume, extremely high velocity, lower deal size transaction, you can't do some things that you can do over here. Like, for example, investing in account-based marketing, uh, investing in, you know, bespoke field marketing events makes a ton of sense for EDB. ton of sense. Um, doing that in the consumer world, people probably get you fired. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So th there's some commonalities, but there's as many differences across those things. And I, I tend to know what I like doing. I like the toolbox, you know, the number of tools I have in the toolbox for enterprise marketing. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like maybe that's where the commonality is from what you're saying. It's like, you know, yeah. if you're in, if you're in like a, if you're like a, like a B2B enterprise sort of thing, okay, you know, that channel partners will be there. There'll be like, you know, your, your conferences that you might want to do there, your, 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 your your ecosystem, if you're doing like something like a B2C, it's more like, well, you know, it's like, it's like high volume, low turnover, very low customer, low customer loyalty. Yeah. I mean, and it's kind of like, yeah, promoting a movie, right? Where I mean, like, you know, if you, if you exactly. have like, if you're doing a Marvel movie, yeah, you got to do a licensing deal. You got toys, distribution. If you're doing a rom-com, I mean, there's not going to be Matthew McConaughey action figures, you know, going, going out on, in, in your, in your, in your distribution play, right? So it's kind of the same idea, isn't it? Exactly. Well, it's the, I mean, it, you know, where the differences come in, Joe, are, are across companies like, okay, for example, you know, how much of the pipeline do we need to close the, the numbers we need? Where's the pipeline coming from? You know, do we have SDRs? We do inbound and outbound. How much of our, how much of our revenue goal is expansion of existing customers compared to, you know, we want new logos. Both are usually important. They are to us. But our ratio, our proportion that we want to achieve annually is probably different from some other companies. So those are the things you got to kind of factor in and adapt for. Exactly. So let, let's let's talk about like your your day to day now. I mean, so what what keeps you at up at night technically these days? That you're what you're trying to implement in, in the yeah. Well, well we just got time. through with two literally coming off the heels of two big big technology transforms. Um, one which happened earlier is we put our, replatformed our website. And there were a lot of reasons we had to do that. We had 
We had some great partners who helped us in our IT team, other groups. But there are a number of things we wanted to do within our website. You know, for example, we have a fantastic set of bloggers. You know, we're a Postgres database company. Yeah. And we have some of the leaders in the Postgres community. And we wanted to make it a lot easier for them to just blog when they want to. Because people love to read their stuff. Not really possible with the older infrastructure. Uh, we wanted to do analytics around the infrastructure like, wow, we'd like to know we have these customer segments, account segments. We want to know when they're coming in. You know, we want to do A-B testing and conversion rate optimization. So uh, the web leader on our team, you know, working with a set of partners throughout the team, we replatformed the website. That happened, the you know, first release was end of June. We're working on our second quarter release right now. So that one was a big deal because now we're bringing kind of the website into the fold. Still some more work to do there. Um, second one is we just completely... Uh, Probably have this signed, sealed, delivered, final piece done next Monday. Uh, we switched our, lead, you know, our entire lead scoring model over the last 30 days. Now we started middle of March. It's April 5th, April 20th today. So, and that there were some important reasons to do that. You know, when I came in the company, we moved to one model. Turned out that model wasn't, it's a good model, but wasn't really suited. So now we've moved to a different scoring model. Big, big impact on pipeline. It's changing our analytics. It's, you know, our, the marketing ops team was all over it. And again, IT sales ops were great, great partners and we couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, so obviously the company like, you know, EDB, I mean, you guys are very, very technical. I'm sure even like the marketing team is probably most, probably very, very technically sophisticated. I mean, you guys are Postgres shop, open source database tool. Let's talk about the website for a little bit. You know, I mean, how how does replatforming a website, you know, swapping a CMS or whatever, how does that, you know, function with RevOps? Is it because you needed more capabilities on the site or is it, I mean, how, how exactly? Yeah, it was a combination of things. We needed more capabilities on the site, um, you know, and, and there's some other pieces we're doing. For example, we're in the middle of moving to Google Analytics 4 this month because okay. you've got to move to GA4 now. Google doesn't give you a choice. Um, there were a lot of things, first of all, the system we used to have, and again, it was thought at the time, thoughtful decisions, but some decisions were made in terms of technologies that were previously used that unfortunately only a small handful of people could actually do that work. So we wanted something. So we switched to something that's an open source uh, CMS, which is Drupal. And the reason we did that is we wanted faster velocity changes in the website because we're like thinking, you know, in fact, the way we're thinking about it, is we're separating content changes from development changes. Content changes can happen pretty much as they're needed. Development changes happen, there's a schedule, we do quarterly releases, so it's almost like shipping a software product, it actually is. So we, you know, even things like having different servers for production, what's out in the world, and testing, so that we can enable the entire company to do a preview before we go live. Couldn't do that with the old platform. So it was a combination of that, um, we actually wanted something that worked better for analytics. We wanted something that worked better with our marketing tech stack, which we, we've done a significant amount of engineering work over the last 18 months uh, on the tech stack to simplify it, make sure everything's working together properly. And, you know, that's one of those things where, uh, you know, very much devils in the details there. And it's a, it's a ton of hard work. Uh, and again, that was working with IT, sales ops, our marketing ops team, the analytics team all together. 
so I guess it is, it is really like a, a you know, replatforming a website is really a RevOps sort of project, right? Because, you know, you do mm-hmm. have to take an IT if you're going from like a proprietary platform to an open source one like Drupal, then you have, then you have marketing who needs to make the content for the website, the branding and whatever. Sales has to know how to use it maybe for, for, for their own reasons. It has to get, get leads for them. Then you have IT coming back to do maybe customer functions, right? Maybe there's like a pay a bill online or knowledge bases or stuff oh, like those ex- things. Yeah, exactly. A good example of that is um, we have like a support portal. We have a partner okay. portal. Um, we also have, uh, we call it a, a repo. It's a repository yeah. where you can download EDB software. Um, and those live in the IT world, they have an authentication mechanism and we make sure we work well with that. So that's where the teams come together where we can say, okay, great. Let's provide this really kind of consistent journey for the website visitor, get them where they need to go. If they want to create an account on that portal, they can, they're logging in. And then we make sure that for a lot of reasons, security, IP protection, that work with IT and their authentication systems to make sure that happens in the right way. So they do have to work together. Absolutely. So how does, how does something like, you know, now that you've done, you're at the kind of the back end of this project, you know, how would you advise somebody going into that project now, knowing what you know from, you probably have battle scars to prove it. Yeah. What would you you tell somebody? Yeah. So, so we learned a bunch of things. We're already changing some of our approaches. So here's Mm -hmm. what I'd say. Uh, Like, I'll take the EDB case. Yeah. EDB, we hadn't made a lot of changes in the website for a long period of time because some of the reasons I mentioned earlier, it was proprietary. It was like this interesting technology that was selected and made it difficult to make changes. Um, it was so number one, being really clear with the company about why you're changing the website and what is in scope and not in scope. So, for example, one of the things that we ran into was we had a very clear set of, we want to change these things in the website, but we didn't provide a long list of, here's the things that are going to be the same. So when we went to do the preview for the company, we got a lot of good feedback. It was great. We captured it all. We didn't, but people were like, this web page is way out of date, et cetera. Wasn't in scope yet. So that's one thing. A second thing is, you know, making sure that uh, you get a lot of eyes on it. That's one of the things we're an open source company. So what we're, trying to do going forward is making sure that we have ample time for the entire company to get eyes on it before it goes live. And yeah, you do get a lot, you get a lot of feedback on it. Not all of it you're going to react to, but it's better to get the feedback than not. And the last thing I'd say, which I think we learned is anytime you do a replatform, your SEO is going to take a bit of a dip. That's just the way it is. Um, how much, how little, you don't know until you do it. So there's things I, in retrospect, I would have done, for example, um, we don't spend a lot on PPC. I'm not a huge believer in it, but that may have been an area where, okay, maybe we do a brief surge on PPC to make sure for unbranded keywords and searches, we don't, you know, we don't lose where we are. We've since made it all up and then some, but you know, there was a period of time there where there's a little bit of, you know, and then you get the last thing I'd say is, and it goes back to the lots of eyeballs, you know, we, we, we found things because of the age of the, the website we replaced. Like example, people had set up RSS feeds, which were great, uh-huh. but it wasn't documented anywhere. So suddenly we started getting, uh, like we use Slack as a company. There were all these Slack messages going, the RSS feed is broken. We were like, what RSS feed? So I think the thing 
in retrospect is if you're going to do replatform, you want to kind of go around the company and do a good listening tour. Okay. So the website, like what do you, like anything we should know that you're doing with it? Cause we ran into quite a few of those. Um, and we, again, we've addressed them all now, but you know, it's one of those things where, uh, and if I could take a time machine back, I'd be like, let's go ask people. Let's make sure we understand everything versus we're having to find it out and address it real time. So that, I mean, that's my advice. It's it, you know, it's an important thing to do. Your website is so critical. It really is for any company. Yeah. So, I mean, making sure that there's some ways for existing customers to interact with it and get some answers they need. Marketing is there, sales or reduces the friction, makes a whole lot of sense. Well, I mean, if you look at these days, um, every piece of research, which I do agree with, says that in 2023, where we're sitting, your primary customer or the customers, they're going digital and doing a lot of digital self-service in their buying journey before they even engage you. By the time they either decide to call you or they decide never to call you. So by the time they're calling you, they've already, they're getting on the phone or into a Zoom call. And they're, they know what they want. So your website needs to be the best version of your company. Like the information you want them to see is up there. You've got to make it very accessible. It's clear, understandable. The benefits of your solution got to be clear. I mean, we're, we're doing continual tweaks to the website. We're starting to do a lot of more A-B testing and you know, starting to get down into deeply into conversion rate optimization, um, which I'm really excited about. So the website is just critical. We also get a lot of, um, oh, you know, quite a few hand raisers, as we call them, and hot leads that we're able to turn into you know, opportunities for our salespeople right from the website, which is great. Nice. nice. And so where, where do you see the future of, of all this heading? I mean, like, you know, website aside or, or even RevOps and just kind of where, where do you see, where do you see this whole Oh, going. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we don't have a chatbot today. I think we will have a chatbot probably in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, you know, I think I've been tracking and playing around with things like GPT-4 and some of the Bing AI stuff. Um, I, I think you know, like, in fact, it's interesting in a different space, Atlassian just announced this week that they're adding GPT features to Jira. You know, so... That's really interesting. So I, I think you're gonna we're gonna see more and more chat GPT like scenarios and chatbots where you know if you provide a bunch of you know I'll call it training model data based on the interactions you've had and you you know maybe provided some helpful frameworks you can create a really nice experience for customers visiting your website where they can ask questions, interact, and get more self-serve. I mean, you know, a tactical example, you asked about why we do the website. One of the features we added, which we never had, is we added full site website search. So for the first time, we're able to go say, what are people looking for on our site? And if they don't find it, well, we got to do something about that. You know, chatbots, ChatGPT could take that a lot further because, you know, one of the biggest values of chatbots is they tell you what people are interested and curious about, and you may not know they are that, may not have content for it. Got it. So, I mean, like, this is all very, very, you know, interesting. I mean, you, you, your perspective on, on where the website sits in the future of, you know, putting a chatbot with it or whatever is like a customer experience is pretty, pretty unique. I mean, and I'm curious, you know, where, where exactly did, 
wh- I mean, where does this all come from? Like, take take me back to you know younger Scott. I mean, not that you're old now. I'm, just, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying young younger Scott. Okay? Younger like, Scott. Young. Um, this is young Scott. Let's talk to younger Scott. How how you how'd you get here? Wait, what what is the story? Well, are you asking about chatbots specifically or overall? No, no, no oh. I'm, I'm, I'm talking oh, okay. about Okay. So I, you know, I like you earlier commented on the Forbidden Planet. And I was your classic, uh, you know, nerd geek, love science awesome. fiction, love the robots. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, early on, my high school became what it was like the first high school in our district that got computers. It was Apple IIs. There you go. I'm dating myself. Nice. Um, love them. And it turned out I just, the way my mind worked, it worked for programming. I was able to program and pretty quickly I was helping other people program. So by the time I went to school, I was like, oh, I want to do AI. And I actually studied AI in an undergrad and, you know, got a computer science degree, was a software engineer. And the way I describe it to people is I like software engineering. I have enormous respect for it. In fact, the way I write emails, the way I think about it was really shaped by that experience, the way I think about problems. Um, but I also said to myself, you know, I want to be in a room where the decisions are made and I don't necessarily see this being the path. So I went back, uh, you know, got my MBA, which you know, I worked for some people. It did for me. Doesn't, it's not recommended for everybody. I think it depends on your situation and um, got to intern at Apple, which was nice. Um, and then based on that experience, got a job at Microsoft and ended up much to my surprise. I thought it was going to be a two to three year gig staying 17 years. And the reason I did that was because uh, I just kept getting tapped on the shoulder. Come over here. This is interesting. And, you know, what I'd say is there's a set of skills I developed in Microsoft. still, But there's also a set of skills I had to develop post-Microsoft. So, for example, at least when I was in Microsoft, modern demand generation, the way you and I would think about it in terms of how we're going to account-based marketing and, you know, we're thinking about leads and, you know, Microsoft didn't do that. Uh, Microsoft was really, really good at things like product messaging, product positioning, PR strategy, that kind of stuff. You know, building communities, really good marketing, demand gen, marketing operations, tech stack. How do you think about the website? I mean, I learned a little bit of website Microsoft because I ran several websites. That stuff was all post-Microsoft. And, you know, candidly, it's just really been about staying open to new ideas. I read a lot. Um, I try to learn through everything. I, um, to me, the worst thing, even if you, something doesn't go the way you want or you just outright failed, at least if you look at it and go, what did I learn? You know, like I mentioned earlier, I was the one, I took the company into our EDB into a, a lead scoring model. It was an account-based scoring model back in 2022. It's a good model. I've had a lot of success with it in other companies. It just didn't work for where we are. It was a, you know, a good model, wrong time. So along with the set of other people, I got them together. I said, look, I think we got to change the model. You know, so like, this thing I built, I think it's time to smash it. Let's go do something different. And I think the only way you do that is if you're open, like don't fall in love with your own creations. You know, if you've ever read uh, Ray Dalio's Principles book, yeah. a very good book about keep an open mind, assume you're wrong about stuff and look for verification that you're wrong so you and um you know i always think of it as be willing to like don't fall in love with your own creations be be willing to change them you know or outright just stop doing them and that's very much like a programmer's point of view right i mean it was okay like look i i've 
I've written this part of the story that now, but you know, this code is going to change because requirements are going to change. So that might get thrown out the window. This thing you just worked on for two months, six months. Now, marketers might have a hard time with that. Like they might say, look, this is a masterpiece. This, this, uh, this report I made, this campaign I'm running, you know, how do you, yeah, you, know, you how do the two sides of Scott, how do they well, fight each other with that? I'll say, I'll, I'll answer and then I'll tell you a quick, quick funny story that uh, I told yeah. people. So what I'd say is, I think you've got to let the data be your guide. I mean, if you're, I mean, one of the things that's a benefit of the engineering background, because you know, I think of myself as an engineer, I went to an engineering school. Yeah, sure. Is it's about the data. You know, if you don't have the data, go get the data and then we can sit and look at the data. And the data in a lot of cases is going to tell you, you know, if, the, if you think the campaign is beautiful, but the campaign is not generating leads. Okay, let's take a look at why that's happening. You know, there's no escaping. It's not generating leads. You got to go look at it. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I think the engineering background with marketing works really well for where we are today. As marketers, there's so much data. You've got to understand the technology. You've got to, I mean, I spend tons and tons of time with our marketing ops team, um, with our sales ops team, like just like literally thinking about how do things flow through the pipeline into the system. Um, we happen to be responsible in my team for company's data enrichment. So adding accounts, adding contacts, making sure we have as good a data. A lot of thinking. The, fun, the funny story I tell is when I was in business school, like, my background was almost like the opposite of what everybody wanted. You know, it was funny because I went through a brief, a brief flirtation. I was like, I want to do consumer products. And, you know, if you were to look at my resume at that point, you'd be like, what? And it was funny. If you, um, if you ever seen the, the movie Animal House, which again, maybe. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Where, you know, you got the, uh, the geeky guys going to the cool fraternity and, and they get put in this corner with the other geeky people. That was me at marketing club meetings at business school. You know, business school was like, you'd have, and, they're, and they were all lo- really nice people. A lot of them were still friends of mine, but you'd have, I worked at Procter & Gamble. I worked at L'Oreal. I worked at Nabisco, yeah. the marketing club. And then they'd be like, well, if you want to do that high tech thing, ew, you know, Scott's over there in the corner. Go talk to him. He did that last summer at Apple. And of course, nobody ever came to talk to me. You know, now you, uh, now you look at it and you're like, okay, again, if you're working, I think even if you're working in consumer, Consumer, you're dealing with you know, digital management platforms. You've got DMPs, you've got CMPs. You've got to understand your web analytics. You've got to understand, you know, your performance lift on ads and coupons. I mean, ton of data. Don't get me wrong. You can be a creative in a lot of roles in marketing, but I, I don't think there's a role in marketing where you can't be uncomfortable with math or, you know, at least be comfortable with tech. I just don't think that that's, I mean, not everybody needs to like be a coder or programmer. Not everybody needs to be able to deploy it. Like within my team, most people aren't, but you got to be at least comfortable with using the technology um, and applying it to solve problems. Yeah. Would you say that marketing is the, is the most quantitative business discipline there is? Oh uh, gosh, I wouldn't say that. I don't I don't have people calling me and yelling at me from the thing. I put the question for you. <laughs> I, it, I mean, Actually, I, I'd almost flip it. I think marketing probably 20, I mean, first of all, marketing has gone through this amazing, amazing evolution. I mean, when I think where I came out of business school in the 90s to where marketing is today, it's like transformational. Um, I'd say finance, always quantitative, always. Um, I'd say IT has always been really a quantitative function. 
sales is a very quantitative function. I mean, sales, if you're a sales, I've been a CRO, like I said, it's about the numbers and you got to understand your conversions pipeline. In fact, you know, our sales ops leader here is incredibly talented. She knows stuff. I'd say marketing over the last 20 years has taken its place alongside those things. I think if you go back 25 years ago, there was much less quantitative. I was fortunate. I worked for my first boss out of uh, business school at Microsoft was a really early, early thinker on data-driven marketing. Um, just a really, really, really smart guy. Um, hi, Tom. Uh, and uh, give a shout out, Tom Button. And, um, you know, that was the first place I was like, whoa, you know. And unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of the systems. They just weren't available. Things like, for example, the web didn't exist. You know, so getting analytics off the web. You know, but as all these, the digital, you know, and you've probably seen this, the you know, the classic, what, how many more tech companies are out there? It's like 5,000 yeah. now and you yeah. can't need a magnifying glass. Well, that's all a result of digital transformation, data, you know, systems thinking, entering the marketing sphere over the last, call it 25 years, you know, particularly social media and all that stuff. I mean, it's been transformational. So I wouldn't say marketing is the most, I'd say marketing has joined the ranks of the others. Good answer, I guess. So, I mean, now Scott, what would you, so what would you tell, tell yourself the engineer now, if you go back in the time machine, you know, take the DeLorean and go back. I mean, what, what do you, what do, what do you, what do you tell yourself? I mean, do you keep well, yourself more solid neck? What do you do exactly? It's, it's funny. I'd probably tell myself a different set of stuff than marketing, but I'd tell myself is honestly, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I think to myself two things when I think about things, because, you know, some days you're just like, Ugh. um, I think number one, on my deathbed, will I care about this thing? And the answer is almost invariably no. Um, or even 10 years from now, will I, will I be thinking about it? There are things I think about from 10 years ago. I'm like, dang, I wish I'd done that thing better. Um, you know, what I, what I would say, and I would encourage my earlier self, is I've taken lots of leaps of faith in my career. I tell people, it is really tough to just draw any kind of straight line through my career. You know, I was at Microsoft. I've uh, been there three years, was in marketing. I jumped over to what we call product management today. Like big leap. I mean, it was like, wow, totally different discipline, completely. I mean, I had to learn how to do product schedules. I had to learn how to do bug triages, how to write specs for developers and testers. But it was one of the best experiences of my life. You know, then I jumped back into marketing and I'd been a product marketing. I got to lead demand gen globally and PR and awareness for a very large business, one of the big seven Microsoft businesses at a global, that was a big leap. I mean, I had to go think about, okay, when I got to think about web and I got to think about demand gen. I got to so I would encourage myself, do those things. Um, luckily I did them uh, without the DeLorean, but I would, I would say do them even more excitedly. So with the DeLorean, go, go, go do it more fun. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like don't so like, sweat I mean, it. Just go do it and don't sweat things. You know, I mean, the other thing too, I'll say this, I tell people all the time. At the end of the day, it's the relationships. The thing I'm, I mean, for all the marketing stuff, it's the people you've worked with, the people you've, and I'm not saying it to be like, you know, um, some, somebody joining us on this call silently, uh, a colleague of mine and a friend, Ian Bain, we've worked together in two companies and, you know, and he and I have stayed close and friendly for years, even when we weren't working together. Those that I've, I have people I've worked with who worked for me have gone off to be CEOs and CMOs. It really is 
and the relationships and the people that you'll look back on. That's the, you know, in fact, that's what I think about, you know, going back the last 25 years, it's less, oh yeah, this campaign or that thing. You know, I'm proud of those things, sure. But it's more the people that I think about. Yeah. So, I mean, like that's a, that's a really interesting, uh, you know, take on things. Obviously people always talk about the people that they, they work with, but I mean, it sounds like in your voice, you can kind of hear, you know, you had a lot of fun working with a whole bunch of people oh, yeah. over, over, over the career. I mean, for sure. So let's, let's talk about the fun a little bit that, I mean, like, you know, what, what do you do for fun? I mean, obviously, you know, I, I mean, I know we are both sci-fi people here. I mean, what, what else is there behind well, uh, Scott that so, we don't know about? So I love to do, uh, let's say I do Peloton multiple times a week. I oh, do man. martial arts. I'm on a time. I'm waiting for my new studio. I moved to Atlanta, um, last June. So the studio I'm waiting on is just about to start because I love to, I do uh, Tang Soo Do, which is a Korean martial art. Um, I've been doing that for years. Uh, I love to cook, love, you know, read constantly. In fact, it's one of the things I, uh, one of the interesting things, I just tell people it's kind of a weird thing, but back in 91 or 92, I decided to keep a log of every every book I was reading. So I have like this log that goes back and that's where the reading list on LinkedIn comes from. I pull the stuff that I really like around marketing, sales, business, history, biographies, and put that into a list and I update it every year or so. So I'm usually reading something. Uh, it drives my wife crazy because I want to read in bed. Uh, but uh, do those things. Yeah, that's fun. Ex, you know, outside, hang out with the dog, hang out with the family, all good stuff. So, I mean, like, Scott, you know, you, you've got a very variety, diverse background. I mean, in terms of, like, interests and skills and career, career job, job placements, those sorts of things. Where can people learn more about you and, and your story and, and, and what you're all about? Well, the story, boy, I don't know what about that. Um, we have to like just sit over drinks or wine. I, I, I actually am a wine drinker. Uh, um, but, you know, I'd say, I'd you know, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, as long as you're not selling me stuff, something. I turn down, I turn down like 10 solicitation invitations a day, literally. Um, but if you genuinely want to connect, I'm happy to do it. Um, the reading list I mentioned is on LinkedIn. Uh, I updated it within the last year. And, um, I, I, by the way, I appreciate suggestions from people about have you read X? Um, as an example, somebody recommended a biography of Nelson Mandela to me probably seven, eight years ago. I read it. It's a wonderful, wonderful, inspiring book. Just incredible. It's actually, uh, I think it's uh, Walk to Freedom. Uh, yeah. And it's on my list. It's a great, great book. I mean, just, and I, I was grateful that somebody said, hey, I, I noticed you like biographies. Have you read this one? Yeah, those are the ways to get to know me. Um, Check out EDB. Follow us if you want to follow our exploits. Yeah, tell, tell us a bit more about EDB if you can. Well, first of all, great company. Um, founded in, I want to say, 2006. Our CEO, Ed Boyajian, is, uh, has been the CEO for 15 years, and it's like it's day zero for him. Uh, the company, what we do is we are the leading Postgres open source database company on the planet. What I mean by that is, we have more Postgres engineers in our company than you take the three cloud service providers, Microsoft, Amazon, Google combined. <clears throat> um, we contribute 30%. We've contributed over the last decade, roughly 30% of the overall Postgres code base for open source. Um, we have people in our company who are brilliant at it. Um, in fact, there, you know, if you want to follow some really smart people and you love Postgres, you know, we have some of the rock stars of Postgres. Um, 
we provide additional services and additional IP. What I mean by that is we do things like, for example, if you want to get off of an Oracle database, which a lot of people do for cost reasons and other reasons, we can either migrate you or yeah. if you want to keep your existing code, we have an Oracle compatible version of Postgres that is an enhancement to Postgres. So you can do that. We also offer extreme high availability. Uh, what that means is essentially five nines availability. So like six minutes of downtime. 99.9999% uptime. Exactly, yeah. which is amazing. Um, also things like you know, fall over. So if you're updating one server, you can do it. Uh, we also have a database as a service. So if you want to run it in the cloud called Big Animal, uh, you can do a free trial. Also come to edb.com. Um, what I was going to say is you can run Postgres with us anywhere. You can run it in on-prem, private cloud. One of the cloud services we support, AWS and Azure Day, Google's coming soon. And you can also run it in the Postgres managed cloud where we host our environment. So you know, if you look at it, our, com our customers are the leading enterprises, government agencies around the world. We support every branch of the US federal government um, with quite a number of agencies, financial services, banking, transportation, healthcare, hospitality, pharma, health. It's literally, um, I think the latest number I saw is we have over 80 companies on the Fortune 500. Um, really? you know, as customers and many, many of them long-term customers going back many years. So that's what we do. Cool company. If you love databases, um, Postgres, yeah. uh, which is the most popular open source database there is. Um, if you love databases, you like doing marketing and helping enterprises really transform their data platform, their technology and what they can do for their customers. DDB is an awesome place to be. I mean, yeah, like, you know, Postgres is, is, is kind of the future of open source database. It's, it's, uh, it's, exactly. it's, a, a big, Most, it's a very big deal. If you haven't heard of it yet, I mean, you will hear about it momentarily. I'm sure you go Google it if you haven't done it already or chat GPT, whatever you want to do. I mean, but yeah, you got to go research it for sure. Well, I'll mention a couple things. Um, most love, most use, most wanted database. Um, if you go to uh, Stack Overflow, the other thing is, um, one of the things we have the privilege of doing from the Postgres community is we, uh, EDB hosts the only uh, Postgres downloads for Mac and Windows worldwide. So it's a great place to come visit, to come get it. So, um, and we make it very easy to download a Postgres because we, in fact, one thing uh, we just announced, like just announced, if you want to learn Postgres, we made all of our on-demand paid courses free. They're all free. I didn't mean to do a PR promo here, but you mentioned it. So if you yeah. want to get free Postgres training from folks who really know Postgres, you know, come to enterprisedb.com, www.enterprisedb.com, uh, and um, come download our training. Come take our training. Look, Scott, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, you know, martial artist, uh, sci-fi wizard, marketing <laughs> guru, marketing mentor. I mean, thanks so much for uh, coming on and jamming with me today. Really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Great questions. It's a lot of fun. If everybody listening out there, if you learned something today, uh, if you laughed a lot, hopefully you did, uh, tell someone about the show. And uh, Scott, thanks again. Thank you. This has been another exciting episode of RevOps 500, and we'll see you all next time. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevOps500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Compute, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing.